you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And in today's episode, we're sitting down with my longtime friend, fellow swimmer, and now business partner, Jim Haggerty. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, BJ. We'll have to correct that to be swammer. I haven't touched the pool in about 15 years. <laughs> Noted. We'll get, we'll get you. Now that we're working together, we'll, we'll both get each other back in the pool, too. Exactly. Uh, I don't have a theme for this show other than you are probably one of the only um, folks we've had on the show so far and, and maybe will have on the show that has been back and forth between both public and private industries. So I'm excited to dig in. Uh, the first part of the show, Jim, we focus on discovering a little bit about you. Uh, and I'm excited because I know we've talked uh, bits and pieces about our backgrounds here and there, but uh, you know, we grew up in South Jersey together, swimming for Jersey Wahoos. We were just talking about this before the show. Um, Jersey Wahoos, nationally known program. Jim and I both ended up swimming in college. Um, but from there, Jim, Catholic University to the industry. Tell us your story. Great. So appreciate the intro. A little bit about myself. I always try and get my elevator pitch out there, and I'm always telling people to work on their elevator pitch because you don't really know when those 30 seconds are going to come about. So I always start off my elevator pitch with Personally about me, I'm a passionate design and construction executive with 15 years experience, both public and private institutions. I've worked for some of the world's largest companies, Ambridge Hospitality, HKS Inc., the architect of the Capitol here in Washington, DC, and Choice Hotels International. Throughout my career, I've been responsible for assembling best-in-class teams, leveraging scale and talent on projects and portfolios worth about $2 billion. And me personally, I'm an East Coast native, but I am fluent in markets across North America. Awesome. So I want to take you take me back to high school and the decision to go to uh, Catholic University. Was it architectural driven? Because I don't remember that. So it's interesting. I've always had a passion and I've always been interested in design and construction. And it's funny when you talk to folks that want to enter the architecture profession, how they how they start, how they got into it. Um, typically, like everyone else, I was interested in Legos as a young kid watching this old house, which drove my family nuts because nobody was really interested in that. Um, and I took a few architecture classes in high school, which really got me excited uh, to go down that route of study. So that was really my springboard into my learning in the uh, in the profession. It's funny you said this old house because I heard, uh, for those who don't know, Josh McAllen. Josh McAllen's the uh, president, founder, CEO of Eva May Hospitality, who Jim works for now and, and is n becoming a partner of uh, MCFAs on the, on the private development side. But he mentioned this old house. You mentioned this old house. And like that was like a dirty or dirty little secret of mine that I loved this old house <laughs> as a kid. It was like pre-Tim the Toolman Tim. Pullman Taylor, it was like Bob Vila in this old house. Um, 
I wonder how many other people in the industry uh, secretly watch that show as kids. It's too funny. Now there's so many other options that are out there, but I recently got back into it. And I was like, man, this brings back a lot of memories. So. Dude, he's, he's the original uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They don't, yes. they don't, they don't hold a candle to him. Uh, so from you, you ended up getting your master's at Catholic too, correct? I did. Correct. Architecture? Architecture, yes. While you were in the industry or did you go straight through a master's program? So I did the silly thing where uh, in my career, I took exactly one day off before launching it, graduated <laughs> on a Saturday, took Sunday off and entered the workforce Monday. Um, and I, I entered in with, it's, it's great for me personally, because I can say I've worked from everything from a sole provider on the architecture, sole proprietor rather on the architecture side, where I started my career is just a, with a one man shop to working my way through to the largest architecture firm in the world at the time, HKS Inc. So my goal was always to broaden my experience. And as I progressed in the architecture side of my career, I worked not only in hospitality, sports, mixed use development, multifamily, retail, uh, all the way through to even hospitals and healthcare, uh, which was just really interesting to work on that side. I think for our younger listeners, uh, it's important to to build that base. And you know, I, I came at the industry differently. So, for those coming out of school, what would you what would you tell them? One of the most important things that I've stressed in my personal life in the last, I would guess, five to six years. And you always ask yourself if you could go back and do it again, what would you do? And something that always kind of struggled with me internally was being this drive to be an architect, but it may be not aligning with my personality profiles and work style. So something that I would do as somebody who wants to start off in a given career is to start taking personality profiles, uh, just as simple as going on the computer, right? And then you, from there, for me, it's always been, well, hey, if I excel at this one part of my personality, this one thing that really drives me, is that going to be super important in the career that I want to approach? So for me, um, being an architect was always important. But then as I progressed through my career, I said, well, after I designed my first few buildings, I looked, kind of looked back and said that that wasn't as exciting for me as it should have been. You know, is this the actual career that I want to be in? Do I want to be at a desk drafting CAD plans all day and, and building in that way. Um, my answer ultimately was no, I wanted to be in a more holistic approach, more of the, the selling, the real estate side of things, how projects come together, then developing and, and then seeing this living, breathing um, organism come together. Yeah, we probably share that. And I can't, I can't yeah. emphasize enough the need for self-awareness and how those personality tests. So uh, Mike Stedman, if we can make sure we we post those in the show notes, uh, Colby, Disc, uh, there's probably a number of others that that we can find the free resources for. Uh, so Jim, one of the, the biggest things I wanted to get out of you and before we get into the Navigate section is back and forth between public and private, what what brought you to the architect of the Capitol? What were you doing for the architect, the architect of the Capitol? And then how did you end up transitioning to the hospitality industry? Sure. So part of being a young architect in Washington, D.C. is being surrounded by the rich architectural history in the city. 
um, and living kind of close to Capitol Hill, being tangentially aware of, of the history as I worked through school there, um, it, it was always kind of a personal goal of mine to say, hey, I want to work to the, work for the architect of the Capitol one day and see what that's about. My father had worked for the government for 30 plus years. So public service was always kind of near and dear to my heart. And being in DC, obviously public service is the top employer in the region. Uh, and I had an opportunity when I was working for an architecture firm to transition to working with the architect of the Capitol. So I, I interviewed and accepted a role there. And the role was at the Thurgood Marshall Federal Judiciary Building that's on the Capitol Hill campus. It's one of the newer buildings on the campus. At the time, it was about 15 years old when I joined. Uh, and I was responsible for facility services there. So everything from architecture, engineering, design, reconfiguration, all the way through monitoring physical security, really anything that had to do with the building and how it functioned and how the employees interacted with it was under my purview. Awesome. And then what made you leap from public sector to the private sector? You know, and where, where did you go right out of, right out of architect to the Capitol? I went to choice hotels. Right okay. Yeah. So, so tell us about that. So for me personally, it was, it was a very rich experience when I worked with the architect of the Capitol. Uh, every Tuesday morning, I had meetings on site at the Supreme Court, and that was never something that got old, right? Walking to the Supreme Court every day was, or every Tuesday was really uh, inspirational for me. But something that I've always struggled with is I have a, a deep desire. I'm never satisfied. And working with the government, and I think you'll find this with a lot of government employees in the Washington, D.C. region, my specific outfit that I was with, the given age of a given average age of the employee was, I think, 60 plus years. It was a white male with a master's degree. So there was really kind of this, I don't want to say malaise, but you can really get caught up um, with some of these government agencies where people can be complacent. And I'm not a complacent person. And I, I started to see that although I was working with some of the most talented people in the country that work for the architect of the Capitol, it was phenomenal getting to work with them. There was a component of the government that, again, complacency was commonly accepted. So I knew for my career, I just didn't want to settle down and, and hunker down for 25 years in, in one role. So um, at the time, I kind of looked at where I wanted to go into my career, and I had worked uh, in hospitality on the architecture side previously, I knew that that was something I wanted to get back into. So that's when I made the jump to Choice Hotels. So so for all our listeners out there that might be on the back half of their career, we call it the back nine here at MCFA, uh, find a way to not allow the complacency to set in. Part of part of inspiring people in places, we are focused on bringing more of a, and, and I, I don't want to confuse entrepreneurial with, with risk-taking or, or any of that, but an ambition and a spirit and a passion to the work that we have um, and recognize that those young employees that you're you're uh, responsible for their development, their mentorship and their career paths, make sure that you're giving them something to look up to um, because complacency can kill an organization. But as much as complacency can kill an organization's culture, uh, bringing that excitement at the leadership is uh, is critical. So, Jim, before we get into any any specific challenges you had, tell us where you're at now and what are you doing. 
Great. So right now, I recently joined on with a company called Viva May Hospitality. I'm Senior Vice President of Development. So in my role, I'm responsible for, I'll say, the umbrella of the brand, the physical footprint of the brand and developing our portfolio, as well as the soft side, I'll say, of the brand. So our brand framework, our brand details, our brand voice, developing all of that. Awesome. And now for the navigate section, since you've had so much experience in the industry, any specific uh, construction, engineering, architectural, or leadership lesson, uh, war story you want to share with the audience? You know, I want (laughs) to, the war stories are always fun, but I think from a leadership perspective, uh, something that I I would want to talk about. So when I was with Choice Hotels, I was very fortunate to not only sit where I did, uh, but be very close to the orbit of the leaders of the company. So the CEO, the COO uh, sat about 20 yards from where my team sat in the building. So it was very common to interact with these folks on a, a near daily basis, be in meetings with the, the top leaders of the company. And something that I set up for as a challenge for myself was, well, how can I'm sitting here, I'm close to them, I'm absorbing what they they say in meetings and trying to interact with them as much as you possibly can. But uh, something that I set up for a personal challenge was, hey, how can we make this something that's, you know, I can actually get something out of. So I was fortunate enough to uh, know the executive assistant to both those the CEO and the COO on a personal basis. And I said, hey, Marsha, why don't you set me up an hour meeting and I'll sit down with Steve and I'll talk to him. She said, absolutely. When do you want it? And, you know, it's like, okay, I guess we're going to do this now. So uh, I, I got kind of nervous, even though I knew Steve Joyce, the CEO of Choice at the time on a, a personal level, I was was at his house for dinner a few times and was fortunate enough to um, travel around with him when we would go to hotel openings and things like that. Getting to pick somebody like that, their brain, I think for me was invaluable to to sit across from the table and ask a CEO simple questions like, when did you know you want to be a CEO? What What drives you? And hearing those answers and really having a one-on-one conversation was great for me. There were no cameras around. There was no speaking engagements, no notes. It was just a, a really great conversation that, that went on for about two hours of you know, his view and his vision of the company and how that aligned with his personal core beliefs and really understanding that. Um, that was something that was great for me. And it, it went off really well. I learned a lot from it. And I was able to do the same thing with the COO of the company as well. And again, very, very fruitful conversations, but just learning and absorbing so much and seeing not only what values uh, leaders have, but what values they want in their employees was really interesting to me. So uh, that's something that I would challenge a lot of younger employees um, to take on when they have the opportunity is really trying to learn perspective from leaders. And I would also advocate that the leaders be open to these conversations with their younger employees. Um, It it doesn't matter if they're a rank and file employee number 1000. I I think it's important to have these conversations. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I would reiterate the, you know, being available as a leader, but a hundred percent mentors 
and and we talk about books a lot on our email and and in our uh, in our podcast. You know, I, I call books silent mentors. They're the ones that y- you have to kind of catch up and and find out the story. But the real life ones that you get to see in action, and it, especially the people that are uh, probably not three years in front of you, but the people that are ten years in front of you. Uh, really saying, hey, having these conversations, hey, if you were me, what would you do? You know, these are my goals. These are my passions. Uh, because I think nothing nothing trumps a real life conversation, a real life example that's in front of you, uh, whether it's every day or, or um, you just have that one, that one chance meeting. Um, moving into the rapid fire accelerate, current event, public policy or society issue you are actively involved in. Uh, you know, for me, what's been really important, I think, over the course of the last year is diversity, um, hiring diverse candidates in the workplace. Um, I, I, that's been just huge for me and, and thinking through that and understanding that not just hiring diversity to meet a quota, but uh, when you have a diverse, we just mentioned, you know, backgrounds, people come from different areas they come from all walks of life and their rich experiences that they've had in life translate to in my experience a really wonderful workplace setting so i think that's something that's been very important for me as well as working on uh, female rights workplace issues hiring practices salary practices i think uh, really breaking down the glass ceiling and that's hugely important for me. I know, I know you have daughters as well, but you know, I have, I have one daughter and three sons and it would be such a shame for my daughter to not be paid the same as my son. So that's something that I'm, I'm very interested in and actively working on challenging myself on those equations. I think that's, it's a great, uh, issue, especially in our industry, especially in the, you know, you, you talked about the, the average, public facility manager, facility executive is a 60-year-old white male with gray hair and a master's degree. You know, how do we shake up that diversity? Um, I'm 100% in support of that. We should keep that conversation and maybe have a separate podcast just focused on that. That'd be great. Next, next question, favorite quote and why? So I was thinking through this, um, you know, one one quote at least – for me, trying to be an entrepreneur and, and always kind of grasping at the next straw was um, one of the co-founders of Twitter, Biz Stone. I think it goes something like timing, perseverance, and 10 years of trying will eventually make you look like an overnight success, right? And it's it, it rings true for me. And I think you can, you can see my experience where a chance meeting with the folks at Viva May Hospitality actually transitioned to a job for me. really overnight, so to speak. So you're not always going to have the opportunity presented to you in the way that you expect or want it. So being prepared and being in a constant state of preparation, I think this goes back to our swimming days. You know you're going to swim better when you've prepared and put the time in and trained. Um, So for me, that that quote really rings true in my career. Yeah, I love that. And then uh, in, in the spirit of Tim Ferriss, uh, most gifted book or, or a book recommendation for for our uh, audience? Thinking back to some of the books that I've read lately, um, I, I, and I don't want this to be a throwaway answer, but for me, it was a really interesting book reading 
Steve Jobs autobiography by Walt, Walter Isaacson. It was, I couldn't put it down. What made it so interesting was seeing the drive that this one man had and how he challenged everything throughout his career and throughout his life. Not to say that he was a saint by any stretch of the imagination or to emulate what he did in business, but his sheer will and desire to follow through on things that were instilled uh, to him by his parents at such a young age was really interesting to me. I know him and uh, Phil Knight, we talked about shoe dog Yep, and you know, that that's another great story. If you haven't read it, read it. Uh, you, you think about what kept those guys driving when like everything is on the line. And then the thing I love about Steve Jobs is this, this model of like unbelievable vision and entrepreneurial spirit. And, and with that, this leadership, but he was also in many regards, a dictator. So not the leader that we all really aspire to become, but this really successful visionary. And, and there's people like him that are, you know, they, they create such demanding environments, um, studying them and, and understanding the fulfillment of the people around them and how they, how they did accomplish. And, you know, did people, did people closest to them love, hate, respect, or, or, you know, what have you with them. And I think too, it's, it's interesting, you know, cause there is that crop, so to speak of those pioneers that were dictators at the same time. I just, I can't see that being sustainable business tradition moving forward with uh, how quickly somebody can be canceled or put on blast or a blog written about them. So that'll be interesting to see um, if folks like that can still exist in 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, it's true. I remember not too long ago, New York Times or somebody ran, ran kind of an expose on Amazon's business practices and how they were just a grind machine. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure their their public relations department was very busy uh, softening that blow whenever that hit. Um, but I'm I'm with you in 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 the matter of minutes, something can go viral that just crushes a uh, a leader's reputation. Um, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be, and what would you do? You know, I think putting my mind to it. Um, after have read and read the book, Phil Knight would definitely be of interest. Um, somebody who's taken a lot of risks throughout his career. I mean, he's a guy that had it all on the line uh, numerous times throughout the book. I mean, I was uh, there was so much suspense early on in his career if he was going to get you know make payroll or get the loan from the bank on almost a weekly instance, just to see you know what it was like to be in his shoes. But then also too, I know you're a huge fan of Steve Prefontaine to hear what it was like to be in his orbit would be awesome. I think quick, quick comment on that in, in uh, shoe dog, the, the unsung hero of Nike is that employee that kept like kept reaching out and looking for guidance and looking for love. And I, I forget, I forget his name and I forget the the whole story, but it was like, Phil Knight was just ignoring him. He's like, ah, we'll get to him. We'll get to him when we get to him. 
so you know, another leadership lesson, you know, entrepreneurs, and and this is this is true, and and we're trying to bring an entrepreneurial spirit to the public space, but there there's also there's also a calm and consistent and predictability to to the government space. So for all the entrepreneurs out there, remember, like leadership is critical, and as busy as we get trying to make things happen, we cannot forget the people around us, you know, really do need our, our touch and our, our leadership and our mentorship. Uh, so I, I took that as a challenge that day because I, I do know that I can get, I can get too busy. I might miss an email here or there. And, uh, and the people that are around us deserve our attention the most, uh, but are also the easiest to be ignored. Uh, especially when they're loyal like that guy. Yeah, he's gonna work. He's he, he's gonna run through walls anyway. He loves us. <laughs> so true. All right. All right. Last uh, last question. Legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? You know, it's it's not so much what I want on my tombstone, but when I think back of who I want to emulate and what. Speaking in terms of career, um, there was one gentleman that I worked with that I said, man, that's, that's really what I want to be like. And it's somebody where, you know, you can have people still calling you from all walks of life in your career because you've impacted their career and they could call you for career advice or call you for a reference in a job or just ping you and say, what's up. Um, I think that's what I would really like my legacy to be that, you know, I I've helped people, I've nurtured them, I've helped them grow, whether it's within their own industry or hoping them, helping them open their eyes in a professional manner that you're maybe not in the right industry and where do you want to go throughout your career? So I think that's ultimately what I want my legacy to be that my, my teams really outperformed everyone. Awesome. I love that. And then close us out in the words of the great philosopher, Andy Reed, the time is yours. You know, something that, um, as a leader and whether you're in public sector or private sector is always to be aware of perception. Um, for me, it's, it was, uh, I've learned some interesting lessons in how to be perceived and how I perceive others. And I think it's, you need to learn as a leader that eyes are always on you. Um, you might not think that you might think you're kind of sinking beneath the radar radar, but how you're perceived is going to be very important. And if, you know, your perception starts to fade a little bit. Your employees might not be as enthusiastic as they are. So uh, I think that just helps with engagement and making sure that you, you're perceived in the way that you want to be perceived is very important. Jim, thanks so much for your time. And uh, I think with this, with this new venture with Viva May that we've got going on, uh, we'll have to get back together here on the, on the podcast in six months and give everybody an update on how we're making out. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared with other entrepreneurial public servants and private sector AEC professionals. Be sure to visit our website at www.mcfaglobal.com. That's www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter. If you want to learn more about the MCFA DNA, check out our case studies. Last but not least, we are hiring uh, junior professional, senior professional, uh, sellers, doers. If you're a core value match, check out our our openings and uh, give us a holler. Until next time, have a great rest of your week.
Thanks, everybody.